Our second scripture comes to us from the book of Psalms. Pastor Dave started us out with our Psalm, summer psalms last week, and so we are continuing that series. It's summertime. There are fresh fruits, fruits that I happen to love. Apricots are only in the market for about three or four weeks, but I love them. We have longer days. We have family t- gatherings. We have vacations that we can take. It's time that's a little bit slower. Time to stop and think about the future, to think about the past, and perhaps to think about God and to praise Him for all of His wonders. In ancient Israel, they always started off their year with a festival hymn, and that was one of these hymns, Psalm 33. It was probably given in the fall, but it still was a time of thanksgiving. Because it was a time to look backward on what had been done and to look forward at events that were coming. So let's listen to God's word. Psalm 33, beginning with verse 1. Sing joyfully to the Lord, ye righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song and play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry hosts by the breadth of his mouth. He gathers the water of the seas into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations, and he thwarts the purposes of the people. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From the heaven the Lord looks down and sees all humankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He forms the hearts of all and considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes his great, by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver, to deliver them from death, and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? God, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks that we might come to it to know what it is you have for us this day. And we pray, Lord, that the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth might be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So here we have a song of praising to God. Praising God a number of different ways. It starts out by sing joyfully, and then it says it's fitting to praise him. Praise him with music. Sing to him a new song. The psalmist here is not alone. 
He is trying to get everybody involved. He's trying to say that it's not just me, but it's all of us who are interested in praising God. He wants all the worshipers to gather together, the members of God's covenant community, to join in praising God, just as today we as a church join to praise God. He talks about the music. Music is very important, and we thank those of you who are in the choir this morning, giving of your musical talent and of our praise team and and Ed, who's leading us all. It's great to have a new song to sing, to praise God, not just with our voices, but with our heads and with our hearts. Because ancient truths can come alive when we recognize what it is God has done for us. Now, some of you might heard the term worship wars. They have been a time when it's been a little bit of a struggle. But I want you to know it's always been a struggle because even as back far as the Reformers, the Roman Catholics had a choir that sang, but the Reformers felt like it was the people who needed to join together to sing. And so they took songs that were familiar and they wrote Christian words to them. Perhaps you know the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It was done by Martin Luther to an old German drinking song. And yet it tells us that mighty is our God and only one little word will slay our opponents. And so then throughout the years, Calvin wanted to sing the Psalms. Isaac Watts wrote songs. John and Charles Wesley wrote songs. People weren't quite sure about those because after all, they were words that were, they weren't in the Bible. But nevertheless, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. That was one of the ones that was a new song at the time it was written. So also we have new songs these days that are written. New songs that perhaps are not quite what we're used to. But as we listen to them, think about what it is that they're trying to say. Try to join in in a new way. Try to listen to the old stories but sung in a new way, sung in different voices perhaps, with different music perhaps, but still praising God, regardless of how we do it. This is what we're called to do, is to praise God. And the psalmist goes on to say that the word of the Lord is true and is faithful in all he does, because God loves righteousness. And he says, the word of the Lord. Now the word... Maybe some of you listened as Tom read, the word was with God and the word was God. It's talking about Jesus Christ who came to us as the word incarnate. Not just God's word coming out of his mouth, but rather God's word coming to live, to live within our hearts ultimately. And the psalmist says that the word is right and true. And he's always, always means what he says. Because he's faithful in all he does. It's a truth that we can rediscover afresh. That God loves us. And he wants to perform righteous and just deeds for us. He upholds us with his justice and his righteousness. And so he wants us to always give praise. And he's always just. The earth is full of his unfailing love. 
sometimes we kind of wonder, is God really good? And I'm here to tell you, yes, he is. Now, we might not always see it because we have limited viewpoint. But I love that old song that tells us that regardless of where we are, we might, in fact, be content. When peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And that's what the psalmist is saying. It is well with my soul. Regardless of our circumstances, it is well. It is well with our souls. Because God is there behind all that is happening. We don't always know what it is. Because God, sometimes I think of it as kind of a a playground that has a fence around it. God's word gives us the fence and the things that we are supposed to stay within. But within that fence, we are free. We can do what we want. We can enjoy things. We can play. We can relate to each other. We can enjoy the earth. But it's when we step outside that fence that we might be in trouble. Just as a child stepping outside the fence of a playground might actually step into traffic, which would be a problem. So we also, when we transgress those limits that God sets for us, Sometimes we get in trouble also. But God is unfailing and steadfast. And he pays heed to the people who are around and takes care of them. It is God's act of grace as he brings us back. Because his grace encompasses the whole world. It doesn't matter where we are, but it encompasses the whole world. And to make sure that people understand that, the psalmist goes on to talk about, he goes back to Genesis 1 in the original creation. And he talks about how by the word of the Lord, the heavens are made. The starry breath by the breath of his mouth. Can you imagine? When I speak, yeah, it's good, maybe, or maybe it's not. But it's just words. It's maybe my thoughts. But it has no action on creation the way God's does. God speaks. And that alone brings into being the creation around us. This is the almighty God that we can come and praise and thank for he is there. The stars might be beyond our human reach, but the creator is not. There might be immeasurable heavens, innumerable stars. The waters of the sea might be so much that we can hardly comprehend. The psalmist talks about putting the sea into jars and What he really means is that there's a whole cycle. And I know that when I was in 10th grade biology, they talked about the cycle, how the rain comes down and waters the earth and the rivers and the ground, and then it percolates into the sea, and then it evaporates and goes back into the clouds. And so it's an ongoing kind of um, experience that God is there watching over us. And he's the one who set it up for us. So where do you feel close to God? Do you feel close to God at the sea? I had a friend who loved to go out to the ocean. We're near enough here that we can do that. And that was where he found God. That's where he could feel closest to God was when he was at the sea. Or perhaps you're one of those people who loves to go to the mountains and feels that in that 
high, you know, kind of fresh air and pine trees. I'm from California, so mountains have pine trees. Back east, they have other kinds of trees, I learned. But whatever it is, is that where you feel close to God? When you look at his wonders? When you look at the grass? When you look at the ocean? When you look at the trees? When you look at the sky? When you look at the stars? Wherever it is, do you feel close to God? Because the psalmist said, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. That means to praise him. That means to realize that the creator of all things has put his mark upon you, has set his spirit within each one of us to uphold us. The creation is not just for one time. It's not a thing that God set up and, you know, It's like a top spinning and it just continues to spin. But rather, God continues to be aware of what's going on. It says he foils the plans of the nation and thwarts the purposes of the people. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about how sometimes your plans get thwarted? There are times when you might go out and go, oh, i got to go to the gas station because I don't have any gas to get wherever it was I was planning. Or perhaps you're, you've, you've planned one thing and then you discover that, oh, the family wants to do something different. Or my friends want to do something different. Or I had really planned on that, but today just isn't the day. I don't have the energy for it. I don't have quite the stamina to do it. Whatever it might be that God is there taking seriously because he's the one who makes all things. And so while our plans might be foiled or thwarted, the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, because his plans for us always, always are good. The purposes of his heart are always there through all generations. The psalmist goes on to say, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought that you are one of the chosen? It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you're a babe in the arms or if you're you know, as old as I am or even older. God has chosen you. You. The uniqueness of who you are and of the things and the talents that you have before you. God has chosen those. It's like you know, when you were in elementary school and they divided up the class into teams and you were kind of there because you were hoping to be chosen and maybe you were a really good kickball player and so they chose you first or maybe you were like me and you were kind of middling or maybe you were one of the last and you always felt kind of bad because you weren't the ones who were chosen first. You're kind of the last. But I want to tell you that God chose you first. God chose you Uniquely, who you are, whatever talents you might have. He is there to choose you because he's not an absentee landlord. He looks down. He sees. He watches. He looks at everyone who lives on the earth and considers all that they do. And he wants it known, the psalmist wants to know that, you know, it's not by our own human strength. He points out that no king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. And a horse is a vain hope for deliverance. 
Remember, this is a time of calvaries and charges. And so horses were very important. But do you know if you go back into the Bible in Deuteronomy, God purposely tells the Israelites that they're only to have so many horses. Now, why would he do that? I mean, it seems to me the more horses you have, the better your army might be, the the more chances you have to succeed. But that's the whole point. God doesn't want Israel to feel like they succeed on their own. God wants Israel to know that they are there because God wants them there. That they will succeed because God has given them strength and God is the one who is there to deliver them. Because despite all its great strength, all of those things can't save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. Now by fear, sometimes we think, oh dear, that means I'm frightened of something. No, it means that we come revering him. We come recognizing who he is and the fact that he is so much greater than we are. And that he is there, bending his ear to hear us. Bending his eye to see us. Bending his arm to help us. He is there because his plans are the ones that succeed, not the plans of the nations. And so the psalmist tells us that we wait in hope for the Lord. Waiting. I don't know about you, but I'm not very good at waiting because I want it now. I don't want to wait. I want it now. But you know what? That's not always God's way. Once in a while, he tolerates me and, and, and helps me right now. But more often than not, I'm like the psalmist. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Because as we wait, we begin to realize that maybe it's not just me. Maybe it's us. Maybe it's me and God together doing something rather than doing it on my own. And so the psalmist tries to remind us that we need to hope. We need to trust. We need to realize from the past that God has been faithful in the present of God's grace and his loving kindness. Think about the week you've just had. Think about how God has helped you in that week. Now, you might think, oh no, he hasn't helped me. You got up in the morning, didn't you? You're able to breathe, weren't you? You're able, most of us, to walk around. You're able to interact with people. You're able to talk to people. You're able to perhaps read things or sing a new song. And so we're invited by the psalmist to think about our past and our present and God's grace to us in each and every moment. And to realize that God is our help and our shield as he protects us. And it's only in God that we should rejoice, not in our own strength, not in the things that we might have, but rather to rejoice in God, to realize that our strength and our trust are helped by the knowledge of the past that we might look forward with confidence because he helps people who take seriously God's claim as their protector. It's a beautiful picture of God's grace and human faith mutually coming together. And so we can say with the psalmist, may your unfailing love 
Rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Will you pray with me? God, we give you thanks that we might come to you, the creator of all that is around us, of all the world, of the stars, of the heavens, of the sea, of the mountains. We praise you, O God, for what you are and who you are. And we thank you that we might come to you, knowing that it is in your loving kindness that we might rest. And we pray, O God, that in the coming week we might realize it is your hand that is upon us that we might experience that in a new and a fresh way. And then we might respond by singing to you a new song of praise. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.